Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. I was going to take care of some personal business. Congratulations, uh, Sean. That's good. I know you're a Mets fan by default, so... Oh, no, no. <laughs> no. Congratulations to all those Mets fans. Our Dodgers didn't make it, did we? So, uh, good morning. It is so good to see you. It is wonderful to be here. And I, I just really appreciate the fact that we get an opportunity to raise up disciples. Making disciples that make disciples. That's really what this is all about. It really is. We see that happening. I so enjoy that. And it happens in so many different ways. In fact, what I want to do is just thank you for, for the, the gracious hospitality that you extended to the, uh, to the leaders, our Foursquare leaders from Germany that were here last weekend. We debriefed on uh, Monday afternoon, I think Monday morning in our house, and, and every one of them said this. They said they were so touched by your hospitality. They were so touched that they were invited into your life, into your moments. And uh, James told me, Pastor James said, he was the one heading up the host homes. He said, Ron, we had more host homes than we had German leaders. I said, that is great. That is a great sign of hospitality. And so I want to um, I want to thank you for that. What a what a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. It was wonderful to be part of that. Listen, what I want you to do is do two things with me. I want you first of all to open your Bible to Acts chapter three. We're going to look at Acts chapter three for a few moments. Secondly, I want you to pull out your bulletin, and on the back of your bulletin, there's a place where you can keep notes, and so you can follow along with the sermon message. You can just write the notes. There's a lot of places you can even put side notes, like my wife does. She has notes going on the margins, and so go ahead and do that. We're looking at Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 26. In fact, that's the whole chapter. And we're in this amazing study titled, When God Moves. And it's a study in the book of Acts. Would you agree with me that when God moves, He changes everything? That when God moves in your life, everything changes. Sometimes those changes can be painful. And we know that. If you've lived through any kind of change, it's painful. And sometimes those changes can be joy-filled. Now, here's what we can be sure of. We can be sure that those changes are always with our best interest in mind. Whether they're pain-filled and we go through times like that, or whether they're joy-filled, God's care and love are always present. Would you say amen to that? I mean, God's care and love for you are always present. And I want you to remember that today before you leave this building, that God cares for you, that God loves you. And even if you're in a, a pain-filled time, you need to know that God is watching out for you. I have a good friend named Doug Sprague. He, uh, he owns a lot of heavy equipment, and I love it, man. I love that heavy equipment. And every now and again, they let me ride on some of that heavy equipment. Just really one piece, it's the big roller. Have you ever seen those? You know, the thing that rolls everything out? And what they do is that Doug says, hey, come on, you can operate the roller. And where he puts me is very strategic because he puts me away from lives, and he puts me away from property. And so I go back somewhere in just an open field, and I just sit out there on that roller, and I roll. And yesterday, or day before yesterday, we went out for a drive. He says, I want you to see this machine, because I think you can operate this machine. And I thought, oh, good, I want to see this. And so we went out, we were, we were watching him do some grading. And he has this machine that's run by, like, satellite. And then what you do is you put in the, the, the gradings, the gradients, and what you do after you put those into the computer, you just hit a button 
and it just does the work by itself. All you have to do is sit on it. I'm watching this, and Doug looks at me, and he goes, you know, you could do this. You, you, you could do this. You could actually do this. All you need to do is punch one button, and, that, and then the whole thing works. I mean, it just goes ahead for you. Wouldn't it be great if everybody's problems were solved with a push of a button? I mean, wouldn't it be great that if your marriage could be healed by pushing a button or those that are discouraged could find hope, those that are terrified could find peace by just the push of a button? Well, we're going to get into Acts chapter 3, and what you discover here is God does have a way of healing hearts and changing lives, and I'm so glad for that. And it all played out in Acts chapter 3. Now, Acts chapter 2 is a major chapter in the entire Bible. I mean, when you talk about, I mean, epic chapters in the Bible, Acts chapter 2 has to be mentioned somewhere in the top five. I mean, you look at this and you think, wow, this is the place where the Spirit of God came down on people and dwelt in people. It is the place where we see the birth of the early church. Now, in Acts chapter 3, we have the first snapshot of how God works in and through the church. And this is wonderful. So you go from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 3, and now real life kind of begins, doesn't it? I mean, you saw the tongues of fire, you heard the rushing mighty wind, and now you're on the streets. I mean, now you're in community. Now you're living life. And so what Acts chapter 3 does for us is it gives us a model, a template on how do we live life when we're full of the Holy Spirit. What happens? What does life look like? So what I've done for you is I've done this. I've broken down the story that we're about to read in three parts. The third part actually continues into chapter 4. We're not going there this week. Pastor Spencer has it next week. Happy about that. And so what we're going to do is just look how it, how it breaks down. The first part of Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, it's what a miracle. What an amazing miracle takes place. And then in verses 11 through 26, what a message. What a message, once again, Peter brings to the community, brings to the, the crowd that gathered around. And Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, what a mess. I mean, what a mess. Because what happens is Peter and John, what happens? They, they get thrown in jail. That's what happens. And it, it really sends the church at that point kind of in a spin. And they don't know what to do. And there's a lot of things that are going on. So you see that in those verses. Now, what I want you to do is look at Acts chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 1 through 10. And it says this, One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg for those going in, from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. And so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. 
And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Isn't that a wonderful story? That is a wonderful story, and it's written by Dr. Luke, who who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And what's amazing about this story is he's a doctor, and he pays attention to every detail. I mean, when you read it, I mean, how many other authors write he extended his right hand? How many say that he went on the third, uh, the, 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 uh, the, in the afternoon, three in the afternoon to pray? He gives incredible detail to the book of Acts, which blesses us. And you see here where it says, and the gate beautiful. Some people say, well, where was that? Where is that? It's the eastern side of the temple. And why was it called beautiful? It was called beautiful because it was the most beautiful gate in the temple. It was a gold inlaid with jewels all decorating it. And so it was a beautiful, beautiful place. It was wonderful. Why then was the guy on the outside begging instead on the inside praying? See, this is, this is amazing here. He's on the outside begging. He's not on the inside praying. And I can tell you why. The reason why is because there were religious rules that prohibited him from going into the temple. You see, back then, what they believed, and it was a common belief, is that if you were crippled or you had any infirmity, then you must have sinned. And you can't go in the temple if you're a sinner. Uh, you can't go in there. And, and, and maybe it was your parents who sinned or someone in your family. Something happened. You're like this because, because of sin in your life. This guy had spent most of his life, in fact, in, in a few uh, chapters later, he, they tell us here that he's 40 years old. So imagine, he has spent that much time outside looking in because he was crippled. Because they believed that he had sinned or his parents had sinned. He was a complete outcast one of the greatest phrases in the bible is i love it 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 is for me it's silver and gold i do not have but what i have i give to you now here's here's what most churches and most people may say and 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 we we might say this silver and gold have i none good luck you know just to go you know go and have a good day i don't know how that's going to happen but good luck we'll we'll talk to you later That's not what happens in our story here. Peter says, what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now listen to this. Peter takes him by the right hand and he helped him up. Now I wonder how risky that was. I don't know what Peter was feeling or John was feeling the moment before this happened, but this man certainly had their attention and he had their, he had their attention, they had theirs. And so what's happening here is I'm thinking, now listen, this is a risky proposition here because he's reaching out with his right hand to take the hand of somebody who's been labeled a sinner who's infirm and you would not do that. You would not touch a cripple, you would not touch a leper, you wouldn't do that. And so here he is. He's reaching his hand out to take this man's hand. I, I wonder what he was thinking. I wonder what he was feeling. I'd like to ask him when I go to heaven. I'd like to see Peter. I'd like to see John. And I'd like to say, hey, boys, what was going on? Because, because I know when God asks you to be obedient, uh, everything might look calm on the outside, but it's not calm on the inside. There might be a lot of doubt. I don't know. We don't know. The, the, the story doesn't tell us that. But just put yourself in that place. You wonder what they were thinking. 
Now here's what happens next. And you look at verses uh, 11 through 26. And I'm going to cover part of that with you right now. It says this. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, I love this, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if, if by, your own, or by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Now go down a little further. It says here, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. And I love it because when you continue the story, what does Peter do? He says, all of you that have seen this, you've witnessed this, what you need to do is repent now. Repent of your sins, and I love what God says, or what the Word of God says here. It says, and repent then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be, and I love the word here, if you look at it, the NIV, that your sins may be wiped out. But that, that's a pretty dramatic phrase there. I mean, it doesn't say, you know... Um, it doesn't say that we poured cold water on your sin. It doesn't say that we just damped them out a little bit. It says that your sins are totally wiped out. What kind of freedom that brings to our life. I, I love the strength. I love the humility of Peter. He says, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? And you look at verse 16 again, you see Peter pointing everyone to Jesus. That's what he's doing. And then you look at verse 19, because Peter not only wants to point people to Jesus, he wants to tell them, how do you respond now? What do you do next? He says, the next thing you do after you know this is you repent. Listen, when the New Testament church met hurting people, how did they treat them? How did the New Testament church treat outcasts how did they treat the disenfranchised well listen acts chapter 3 shows us how the early church christians treated people it also shows us when the early church spoke their message was really in two stages one it's the message and the message was who is jesus that's what peter does he gets right to the point he just says let me tell you what's going on here this is about jesus christ who lived a sinless life, who died a sacrificial death for your sins, who rose again by the power of God, and who's coming again. And he tells it through the framework of a Jewish lens so they understand that they connect the dots with the Old Testament prophets to what actually took place. So what does Peter do? He tells them the message. He tells them who Jesus is. And secondly, he, he tells them this. He says, this is what you need to do. This is how you respond. Remember his other messages in the one, and especially in Acts chapter 2? He says, when they said, what do we do now? What do we do now? G uh, Peter says this. He says, repent and be baptized. He says, what you need to do is just repent and be baptized. Turn to God so that your sins might be, what? Wiped out. It doesn't say, and I love this, and I think many of us will enjoy this. It doesn't say your sins will be pointed out. It says that your sins will be wiped out. So here's the question that I want to ask today. Does God still change lives? That's the question. Does God still change lives? That wasn't necessarily a resounding yes, but let's say ask him. Does God still change lives today? Yes. 
He does. Does he still work in hearts? Does he still heal? Do you believe the book of Acts is your story? Good. It is. It was written so it can be your story. It's just not a historical writing. It's just not with underpinnings of theology. What this is all about is it's to be passed on and it's been stated from generation to generation. And for those who are far off, this is to be your story. The book of Acts is our story. Has God stopped working through people? There you go. Good answer. See, I believe Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that Hebrews chapter 13, 8, it's the scripture you see around this building. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Acts chapter 3 shows us how God uses people and still uses people today. I want to show you five things that you get out of Acts chapter 3. Number one, God uses people who let go of past failures who let go of their guilt, who let go of their shame, who let go of their grudges, who let go of their unforgiveness, and they get free from their past. And and how do we know this from Acts chapter 3? How do we see this in Acts chapter 3? Who's who's the main figure here in Acts chapter 3? Peter. That's how we know. That's how we know that God forgives us of our past failures because Peter is the central character in Acts chapter 3. And Peter was a miserable public failure. You think about what he had done. He was the one that was in a conversation with Jesus, and Jesus was talking about going to his death. He was talking about blood, and he was talking about laying his body down. And you know what? Peter steps up, and he says, you know, I'm really not into this stuff. Uh, You can find another way. You know, you're, you're to be the king of kings. And Jesus looks at him sternly. What does he say? He says, get thee behind me, Satan. Whoa. Peter's probably going, I think I just said the wrong thing. Something, I I crossed the line here. See, and everyone hears this. What happens next? He's in the garden. They're in the garden praying in the garden of Gethsemane. And the the, uh, praetorian guards close by. The uh, the temple guards come running in to this, this quiet Gethsemane. And what happens is these guys start scrambling, and I'm so glad that Peter is a fisherman. He had no clue how to use a sword, so he pulls it out. Instead of getting the guy's head, he gets the guy's ear. He misses. Jesus has to take care of that. He puts the ear back on, you know? I mean, Peter is just stumbling around. A few hours later, in the trial, in the court, in Antonio's fortress, what do you see there? You see, Peter denied Christ three times, and one of those times at least we know it was a little girl who asked him if he was a Galilean and one that walked with Jesus. And he said, "Eh, not me, not me. A public failure. People knew that he had failed. Listen, God is using this complete public failure in some amazing ways. And if God forgave Peter, what does that mean for you and me? It means that he can forgive you. If God freed Peter from his past, he can forgive you from your past. Now let me say this, just take a few moments and say this. I, I think there are some that, that have come here today just for this. This might, this might be the only thing that you came to hear today. To hear that you have been forgiven. To hear that you've been set free from your past in Jesus' name. And that what God, I I really believe this with all my heart, what God would say to you right now is God would say to you, stop looking back so you can move forward. 
Stop looking back so you can move forward. God would tell you right now, let go of your past, that he has better days ahead for you, that God wants to move in your life, and that what's keeping you where you are today, what's keeping you in this spiritual stalemate or limbo is you're not letting go of your past. Listen, God has forgiven you. You need to forgive yourself. You need to let go. You need to do that so that you can move on, that you can move ahead into the future that God has for you. I love that. And you see that's what Peter did. He moved on. Number two is this. God uses people who refuse to go it alone. Look at verses 1 and verses 7 of this chapter. It says, One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And then I love this. Taking him by the hand, the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. What do we see here? Peter's not trying to live the Christian life alone. He's not trying to serve God on his own Listen, Peter and John went together. The model of New Testament ministry is team. It's not individual superstars. It's teamwork. It's doing things together. Jesus sent them out how? Two by two. It's going together. It's being part of a team. It's not doing this whole thing alone. Now, I read a little article uh, just a few days ago, and many of you know this, uh, this, this, the name of this person. Um, I read an article on Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, probably arguably one of the greatest NBA players that's ever played the game. And, and, and what happens is he, he gets, he gets uh, t- taken by the Chicago Bulls, and he, he, it takes seven years. This superstar, I mean, he was getting endorsements when he came from college. I mean, Nike was wanting to sign that guy up. I mean, they know this is a superstar. This is a once-in-a-lifetime dude right here. So what do they do? They sign him up. They give him all this money, millions of dollars, but he doesn't win an NBA championship for seven years. I mean, they just struggled. Even though Michael Jordan, it wouldn't be uncommon for him to score 40 or 50 points a game, but it still wouldn't help the team win. It still wouldn't help the bottom line. And you know where the change comes? The change comes when he starts recognizing, I'm not going to get to where I want to be, an NBA ring, until I am on a team, and I play as a team player, and those around me are team players. You know what? It was just, I mean, I think it was just a year later when they just gathered that team around, an NBA championship. See, that the Bible, the Bible talks so much and values the strength of team. Values the strength of team and being on team. And I'm going to tell you this. I can say this. You will not grow to your fullest potential. You will not, re- you will not gain and have the satisfaction of God's purposes being totally fulfilled in your life if you're not on a team. It just doesn't work. There is no way that can happen. That God says you need to be on a team. You need to be a team player. You need to be with other people. I love the team here, man. This, the team that goes on here with you, those that are, are volunteering and jumping in, pancake breakfast, greeting out there, hospitality, the, the preaching team, the kids team, it's all great. You know, I'm looking forward to Christmas. You know, our candlelight services, uh, this is going to be so much fun. The, 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 the title of our candlelight services is going to be Mary's Song. It's in Luke chapter 1. And you know what's going to be so fun about that? is uh, that I get to do that with, with Emily and CJ and Spencer, and the four of us are going to do this on candlelight service evening on Christmas Eve. That's a team. 
And that what we want to see is we want to see team working. We were at the district conference. A lot of our team were at the district conference in Eugene a few weeks ago. That's where we all gather together. And I tell you, I had a number of people come to me and say, you know, I just met a couple of your team members, those that are on your team, and they are just great people. They're just great people. And I love to hear that because it's about team. Now, here's something else. What was it that reset the life of this crippled man? What was it? You see it right here. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. The man became strong. How did life change happen? Don't miss this. Please don't miss this because this is a lesson for life. What happens first? Peter made a connection. They looked at each other. They had eye contact. And that's a powerful thing. That is a powerful thing. That he looks down. He has the man's attention. And that man probably hadn't had that kind of attention given to him. He puts out his right hand. That's amazing. What does he do? He makes a connection. And what does he do next? What does it say? And he helped him. And I love the word. He helped him up. That's elevation. That what this is all about is that we make connection so that there can be elevation, so there can be strength. What happens after the elevation? The elevation comes before strength. It says that his ankles and his legs, his limbs were made strong. And I'm going to tell you something. That's the way God works with you. That's the way he works with me. Uh, By the way, newsflash, all of us in this room are broken people. If you know it, that's good for you. If you don't, you need to find out. But we're broken people. And what we need is we, those times that people would come into our life and they would look at us, they would make a connection. I remember those moments in my life and they reached out their hand and they lifted me up. That's elevation. So why? What would follow? So there would be strength. That is the key to strength. You know the responsibility that we have? We have a responsibility of those that are filled with God's Holy Spirit to look around, catch people, And really recognize them, make a connection, lift them up, elevate them so that people can be strong in Jesus' name. I say that's a good formula right there. That's what God has called us to do. Connection led to elevation, which leads to strength. Number three, God uses people who aren't focused on what they don't have. That's not the greatest grammar in the world. In fact, it's kind of a double negative there. But it sounded good when I said it, you know, when I was putting it together. So I'm just sticking with it. I'm just going to stick with it. Look at verse 6. In verse 6, it says, Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, it says here, walk. Listen, growing in Jesus is not about what you don't have. It's being good and using what you do have. I want you to hear that. I want you to hear that because I'll tell you what we do. And it's, it's so prevalent in our culture, in the American culture, in the society. We are so obsessed on what we don't have. We live our whole life chasing after what we don't have. And if this is going to change your life, I'll tell you, this is one of those things that can absolutely change your life. That we have been called to make a difference. We're not going to make a difference if we're constantly focusing on we, what we don't have instead of being good stewards of what we do have and going beyond ourselves. That is how you make a difference in this world today every single time. Psychologists say that probably the thing that consumes us the most in America is thinking about what we don't have. 
I don't have that promotion. I don't have that money. I don't have that house. I don't have that car. I don't have that retirement. I don't have, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have. And I'm going to tell you what, that has crippled our nation. Because they didn't focus on what they didn't have. They focused on what they did have. And really, God uses people who aren't going to be so consumed with what they don't have. Rather, they are going to give what they do have. I was at my grandson's football game, um, the flag football game yesterday afternoon, or excuse me, yesterday morning, and I got a text from Winchester, Kentucky. That's where I got a text. And it was from Rennie, Pastor Rennie. Pastor Rennie is, uh, he's leading our granddaughter church that was planted out of Berea, Kentucky, which is a church that came from this church over to Kentucky, Berea. And he says, Pastor Ron, I'm so excited. I just wanted to tell you, I think that in Winchester, we're going to get a bowling alley for a church. A bowling alley. I loved it. I'm looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, there it is. Somebody is going to get something. They're going to get, they're going to use what they, that, that, that something they have. They're not thinking about something else. They're thinking about this is what God's given us. This is what we have. We are going to make it work. I texted him back and I said, a bowling alley church, man, has a good ring to it. Go for it. You know, it has a really good ring to it. Listen, folks. Let's don't get stuck in that mindset of always thinking, this is what I don't have. Let's look and see what we do have. Peter went beyond what he didn't have. Silver and gold, I don't have. But what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. To get the breakthroughs that you need in your life, you'll need to look beyond your own resources. Always true. If we go beyond, we can change the world for Jesus. Making disciples that make disciples. Planting churches, sending missionaries, uh, helping the poor, uh, uh, working at the center, going to Albania, going to Rwanda, going to the neighbors that are around you that you can just do a neighborhood barbecue, taking your life group, going into the community, going and serving. There are numerous ways that making disciples that make disciples express themselves. Look around. See how that works in your life. See what God wants to do through you in making disciples. Stop focusing on what you don't have. Number four is this. God uses people who are willing to be interrupted. Now, stop and think about this. How many of you are busy? I mean, you know, we're, if you, (laughs) how many of you are busy? Man, we don't have a very busy crowd. I know everybody in here is busy. I mean, you have things to do. People are pretty busy. We're busy. God uses these guys here in this story. He uses them. They are willing to be interrupted. And and that's where we might fall short because we have certain agendas that we need to meet. We have a calendar that governs our life that we put it down and we are so busy and we are so focused and we are so determined to do exactly what our calendar does that we have no room for interruption. And by the way, that interruption may be God sent. I love what Henry Nouwen says. He says this, I used to be so frustrated when my work was constantly being interrupted until I realized that those interruptions were my work. Those interruptions are my work. They're God's agenda for my life. See, if we're not paying attention to those interruptions, especially those people interruptions around us, then we're not paying attention to what God is wanting to accomplish. This is amazing to me how God works in people's lives. What happens here is amazing because in Acts chapter 2, Peter was speaking to the multitudes. In Acts chapter 3, he has an audience of one broken man. 
Wow, the contrast. If that's all I got out of this, this study, I would be happy. Just imagine what happened. He steps up in Acts chapter 2 after Pentecost and he says, let me explain to you what has just taken place. And what happens? 3,000 were added to the church on that day. I can guarantee if Charisma Magazine was around there, they would, want, they would be standing in line to have an interview with Peter. How did you do that? George Barna would show up at his doorstep. Let's, let's dissect this one and see what the formula is for this. No, it's 3,000 people. But what's so amazing is the man who preached to 3,000 people or saw them saved is the man who takes time and catches the eye of one broken man. That is huge. That is remarkable. Listen, Peter goes from the multitudes to caring for one man. This is awesome. This is really being led and filled with the Holy Spirit. That God would say what you often see maybe as an interruption is not an interruption. It is where you were supposed to be. It is a divine appointment. And you take care of that right at that moment. And you extend the hospitality, love, and grace of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Peter does here. You know, my first youth pastor's job uh, Annette and I were uh, at Life Bible College and, and we, we, were, uh, we were assigned to Winston, Oregon of all places we went to Winston, Oregon and, uh, and listen they, they, they knew everyone knew this youth pastor was coming that was me and they put up flyers they did all kinds of things and they announced it for two or three months they knew in, in that, that time and that it, they had that advance and so you know what my first youth meeting appeared to be a total bust because when I showed up thinking that, you know, there would be the multitudes, I had, I had one, one guy showed up to this well-publicized, thoroughly thought-out youth meeting. And the, my first thought was, this stinks. And it was right at that moment. You know what God said to me? He said, you treat him like I treat him or just get out now. You, you know, you don't have a lot of retirement yet. You're not, you don't have a lot of seniority. Just get out because he means something to me. And so I said, hey, come on in. Let's sit down. Let's talk. I want to learn more about you and tell me what's going on in your life. You know what happened in that conversation? I went from one guy in my youth group to zero because in the middle of this conversation, he tells me he's leaving tomorrow to go to college. And I went, it shrunk. I didn't think it could get any worse. I, didn't, I really didn't. I thought, wow, wow. But one of the biggest lessons that I think I, I, I've learned and I hopefully maintain is that it doesn't matter if it's multitudes or individuals. It's God's love being extended to people. That we take the time, that we're willing to be interrupted. And the last one is this. Number five, God uses people who make it all about Jesus. I love what verses 12 and 13 say. It says, when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness that we made this man walk? Why, are you, why do you think, what, what's going on here? Why do you think it's all about us? He's saying here, it's not about ritual, it's not about religion, it's all about Jesus. And the early church taught that thoroughly. It was always about Jesus. It was Jesus at the center of everything. And this is really the essence of their story. Jesus is beyond anything that you could ever imagine. That's what they would say. He's beyond anything that you could ever imagine. Secondly, you need to meet him more than you can ever imagine. You need to know him. He'll change your life. And thirdly, your life will be transformed more than anything 
thing that you could imagine. Your life will change. It will change. It will be, it will be beyond what you ever imagined good to be. And that's what they told everybody. That's what they preached. So here is the life application. I, I was waiting. Some of you are looking. Where's the life application questions? Got my life group. I have saved them for the end. And they're really not questions, but they, 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 they're, they're a question and a statement. And here it is. Are you Im- intimidated with, with, with your past? I mean, that when you are uh, in a place where you have an opportunity to share your story and what God has done and how he's redeemed you, that your past just pops up and it intimidates you, it keeps you from sharing that story. It's happened to me. It happened to me last week. It happened to me last week. If, if that's the case, let go of past failures. If you're intimidated, let go of past failures. Are you isolated? Do you feel isolated? Do you feel alone? Then do this. Refuse to go it alone. It's a decision only you can make. Refuse to go it alone. Are you insecure? Is there insecurity in your life? Then let me say this to you. Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what you do have. Because insecurity is a result of you believing you're not enough. Insecurity is believing that you don't have enough. That you're not enough and you never will be enough. Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what you do have. And God has gifted all of you in this room with something. All of you. Focus on that. And say, this is a gift that God has given me. Here's another one. Are you busy? If you're busy, then pay attention to the people around you and their needs. Look around you. Take time. Let interruption be the norm of the day. It happens. And then, are you self-centered? Then make it all about Jesus. If it's been all about you, that's never going to get you anywhere. If it's all about your woes and all about your problems, it's not going to really get you moving forward. What gets us moving forward is saying, you know what? This is really all about Jesus and his work in my life. Would you bow your head with me? Would you do that? I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward, and we're going to just conclude our time together. And the way that I want to do that today is, I, you know, I just want to do this. I want to invite you, if you're here today and, and you've, you've never come to that place of trusting, believing in Jesus, you know, taking that step. Um, I remember when I did that, you know, it, just, it, was, it was kind of scary. But there comes a time in my life and all of our lives where we say, man, I can't do this by myself. I mean, I'm just running into this, this brick wall. I mean, it's a spiritual brick wall I'm trying to make myself better and I just do worse. If you're here and, and you, you, you want to invite Christ into your life, I want to give you that opportunity to do so. I want you to invite Jesus into your life. And, and with your heads bowed, eyes closed, if you're here and you want to just invite Jesus in to your life, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just lift your hand where you are and say, yep, I want to invite Jesus into my life. I hear what's happening here. Jesus is amazing. Jesus is wonderful. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. So glad you did. We're going to stick something in your hand. We're going to give you something that's going to help you. And um, for those that lifted their hands, would you just follow? I'm going to give you a little direction because God loves you. We love you. We're glad that you're here. We want you to grow in your in your heart toward Jesus. Um, he's changed my life. And I know he can change your life. So I'm going to ask you to pray, uh, the, those that lifted their hands, pray with everyone in this room. And I'm going to ask everyone in this room to pray because it's about community. 
These folks have declared their followership of Jesus Christ just now. They need to know something. They need to know that they do not do this alone, that this is part of community. This is part of who we are. And so what we want to do right now is just thank the Lord for what he's doing. And so those that lifted their hand, um, just pray along with me, and you're going to hear everyone else pray the same prayer. The prayer goes like this. Dear Jesus, I invite you into my heart today. I've tried to do life on my terms, and it has gotten me nowhere. So I come to you today, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I invite you into my heart. I confess with my mouth, and I believe in my heart that you are my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.